0: So how long have you known Vince's right? Right, you know, so I met Vince's in nineteen fifty-four. Right,
1: like I'm not just. Water's like, cold. Yeah, uh, deep too. Deep too. <laughs> right, I need to know what's what. I love mudbone. Mudbone's the best. It's actually one of my favorite jokes. Like that's actually one of my favorite jokes. What? The one about the yeah. The water's cold and it's deep too. Other joke, my friend um Rick Younger, who's actually on Broadway right now. He's in Mean Girls and Musical.
0: Oh really? Yeah.
1: He he plays the Tim Meadows character.
0: Oh get out of here.
1: He was a stand up. He's still a stand up. And he had a joke. It's the dumbest joke, but it's the funniest joke in the world to me, where he says something, 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 because you know, one monkey don't stop no show. Pause. Unless of course it's a one monkey show. It's the funniest thing in the world to me. So you
0: really like your friend.
1: I do. But yeah, it's deep too. Deep deep. That might be my favorite joke of all time. Like joke, like you know what no, people tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I understand. But I never think of it as a joke. What do you think of it as? Because I just think of it as the story that Mudbone's telling. But it's got a setup. It does. But he still tells it in the midst and of it's his super, story. Oh, no, no, no. But I mean, just
1: separately. just that no, Just yes. sort of clean. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. Yeah. But I
0: just don't hear, like, you know, it's not Henny Youngman.
1: Right. Set up. Joke. You, know, you know, Rodney Dangerfield joke. Right. You know. Yeah.
0: And, uh, but it is funny.
1: Yeah. It is. It's it's. But it's, you're right. Know. It is more of a story. story yeah. but But I think that's Richard Pryor, though.
0: Oh yeah, most L- like how much, especially at that point in his career.
1: Yeah,
0: um, I don't know. I don't know the funniest joke that I've ever heard, but I am fairly certain it was told by Stephen Wright.
1: Okay, that's yeah, yeah, <laughs> Stephen Wright, did- and he told jokes. Yes. he told distinct jokes. Yes. Do you ever watch what was the name of that show? I feel like Louis C.K. hosted it, where he had a bunch of comedians and they were talking about each other's joke styles. No. I forget the name, I think it was on HBO, but there's this one moment that utterly fascinates me, mm-hmm. where Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock are both talking about hearing each other. Mm-hmm. And and Jerry Seinfeld says that Chris Rock used to have this joke about black porn mm-hmm. and you know how it was kind of low budget and this, that, and the other. But the fascinating thing, and they pointed it out, on the show it's, cuz it's like it's like Louis CK, Chris Rock, Jerry Seinfeld and and um Rick Gervais. Okay. Which you know part of it they were saying Rick Gervais at that time wasn't really a stand up. Not at all. So they were talking about the art, the craft of right. stand up. And when Jerry Seinfeld retold the Chris Rock joke, he told it like Jerry Seinfeld so the rhythm of it like it was it was this it was a very clean break mm-hmm. between the beginning and the end of it. And it kind of speaks to what you were just saying about Mudbone. Right. And you know, oh, you know, the water's cold is deep too. And I said, Oh, that's a joke. And and is it really a joke? Because like you said, it's part of this long narrative that he's narrative says. that he's and and you know, that's been my argument about Eddie Murphy for years that for all of the Eddie Murphy is in the Richard Pryor school, I think Eddie Murphy in a lot of ways is also in the Bill Cosby school. Oh, yeah. Because Eddie Murphy oh, yeah. tells these long narratives, which, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, Richard Pryor did it as well. But when we talked about it, we would talk about Bill Cosby. Yes. And it's part of my, you know, my, my Eddie Murphy is this fantastic storyteller. Mm-hmm. that i don't think he gets enough credit for but anyway look it up because because it it is because jerry seinfeld tells the joke like he retells it but he tells it like jerry seinfeld but then chris rock tells it mm. and you can see the difference same joke both funny the way both of them tell it i was wondering like what did it, jerry get it over he gets it over it's funny you know, it's, it's weird because obviously he's a white guy doing the, you know, black people do it like this, white people do it like that. Mm-hmm. Which even that, the fact that they mine something that hackneyed mm-hmm. and make it funny, mm-hmm. where you realize you're looking at two masters at their craft.
0: Yeah. Well, they certainly are con- considered masters at it and they've got the wallets to prove it. I don't know like they both are great, they both are good, mm-hmm. um, very good. Uh, I think that Louis C.K. is very good as well. Absolutely, um, it's funny you were bringing up Eddie Murphy. I think Eddie Murphy, you can definitely see the Bill Cosby in him, yeah. Uh, and while you can also see the influence of Richard, yeah, Richard started off pretty much like Eddie Murphy too. Heavily influenced by Bill Cosby. You could hear the Bill Cosby in his act. Right. And then somewhere along the line, as he's maturing, Richard becomes a lot more introspective. Right. And turns into the Richard Pryor that is one of the two greatest comedians of all time. Right. Right up there, him, George Carlin. Right. Eddie Murphy, because he moves so quickly and steadfastly into movies... As a comedian, never made that turn.
1: Right. So, so.
0: He never made the turn past the Bill Cosby influence. He His was a Bill Cosby influence with sprinklings of Richard Pryor
1: and thus some right. of and, him. And the profanity. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but right, that, right, right. that's, right. that's really right. Is but, the, but, the, the. Right, but the profanity, like you said, the profanity was never what made Richard Pryor right. Richard Pryor. Like you said, it's, it's the introspection, mm-hmm. the honesty, where. You know, we've talked when when he comes up. We've talked about this before. Like you, you almost have to hold yourself back from going into a Richard Pryor thing, where you almost don't even want to call him a comedian. Yeah, like yeah. you know, he's just sort of this truth hmm and a lot of times the truth was his truth. Right. But, but yeah,
0: yeah. I I always thought that was. I like- don't know
1: how we got onto this. Oh, yeah. And it's cold, too. Is is deep, too. Yeah, my bone. Right, my bone. This is where my bone took us. This is where my bone took us, which is a very Richard Pryor kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, there exactly you go. go. All there right. right. Go. Hello, welcome once again to another stop on the Michaud Mission. Two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. I'm your host, Vincent Williams of It's All Soul, Wednesdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on G Town Radio, and I'm joined as always. Yo, what's up? How about your
0: boy? This is Len, aka the Bat Tribble.
1: And on this stop, we are spending some time with a bona fide cinematic classic. Yup. 1958 The Defiant Ones, directed by legendary director Stanley Kramer, mm-hmm. starring legendary actor Tony Curtis. Mm hmm. As well as legendary actor, Sydney Poitier. Yes. But before we get into all of these legends and decide whether or <laughs> not this film lives up to its reputation, as always...
0: We've got letters. We've got feedback from each and every one of you that hits us up on uh, Instagram and Twitter, as well as on Facebook, at Michelle Mission. Likes and follows us. Also emails us at MicheauxMachin at gmail.com. We can receive messages in our inbox on Facebook. And we received a message from Juwan Blaylock. Hey, Juwan. Who said, I'm new to the podcast. Oh, my God. I cried laughing at the hilariously angry review
1: of Acrimony. (laughs) A modern classic. Mm -hmm. The review, not the film. (laughs) Yes.
0: Thank you guys so much. This is my new favorite podcast. I can't wait to listen to past reviews. Oh, well, thank you.
1: And welcome. And you got a bunch for you. Oh, yes, we do. I'm always happy when people say they just found us and and they can't wait to listen to past reviews. Because it's nice that there's something. It's like when you find a new show Mm -hmm. on Netflix that's true, and you realize it's like five seasons. Yeah, it's like ooh, it's like ooh, that is fantastic. Yeah, so so that's pretty cool. Thank you and welcome. Hey,
0: now that review of acrimony,
1: yes, which was pretty much just my, review, oh, yes, it was. Um, I was the peanut gallery.
0: That I I can't remember what episode that came on, right? But it was it was. Can that count as our review of acrimony? <laughs> No, it cannot. So we actually
1: still at <laughs> some point we have to watch it. Oh <laughs> no! Yeah, I think it was before Attack the Block. I actually just I was listening to that oh, a couple of days so ago. So
0: be on top of Attack the yeah. Block. Yeah. Mm. Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's k- keep it moving. Ernie Suggs hit us up. Hey, what's up, Ernie? And he mentioned that on the fences. Episode. Yes. People digging in the crates. Yeah, that's hey, that's what you got to do. You mentioned that Lana Turner played the tragic mulatto. Yes. It was actually Susan uh Conner.
1: Yes. In um In the in the nineteen fifties version. Yes, of Of, of Imitation. Of, of imitation. Yes. You're of absolutely right. Life, right. Yes. And thank you for correcting us.
0: We were we were incorrect. And he also points out that Susan wasn't black either.
1: No, no, she was not.
0: There is,
1: this is interesting. Did you see this
0: link that uh, our man Aaron Fry posted? What's up, Aaron? In the Facebook group about a, let's see what's happening here. There is Secrets of the Dead, The Woman in the Iron Coffin. Oh. Yeah, it's a special that's going to be on um, PBS. Let's see. On October 4th, 2011, construction workers were shocked to uncover human remains in an abandoned Elmhurst neighborhood of Queens, New York. Oh, so great was the level of preservation, preservation. Witnesses first assumed they had stumbled upon a recent homicide.
1: Wow. Wow. That is
0: insane. Wow, that, that's that's yeah, crazy. Just in time for, you know, Halloween month. Oh, don't say that. Buried in an elaborate and expensive iron coffin, the body belonged to a young African American woman who died in the first half of the 19th century. Wow. Before the Civil War and the federal Abolishment of slavery. Wow. Secrets of the Dead follows forensic archaeologist Scott Warnish and a team of historians and scientists as they investigate this woman's story and the time in which she lived, revealing a vivid picture of what life was like for the free African-American people in the North.
1: Wow, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, so
0: we're going to look for that on your local PBS station. Yeah, good
1: looking out. The special
0: Secrets of the Dead, The Woman in the Iron Coffin. Okay. That is, wow. Yeah. That's incredible. That is definitely
1: incredible. I love the Michelle Missionaries.
0: We got a new Michelle Missionary that joined us in the Facebook
1: group. Okay. Anthony Sterling. Yes. Joined just yesterday. Yes, and welcome, Anthony.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's see. What else do we have here? Hmm. There is currently being developed. Yes. A third sister act.
1: Yeah, I saw that, but Whitney, Whitney, Whoopi Goldberg is not going to be in it.
0: Whoopi Goldberg will not be in this I don't
1: really understand the point of how you do it without Whoopi Goldberg.
0: I don't understand the point of doing a third sister act.
1: Yeah, me either.
0: I don't think there's a need for a third
1: sister act. it's, It's a concept that doesn't age that well. And not because it's offensive, it's just... It's one of those screwball high concepts that we all sort of bought and, in the late 80s and 90s.
0: And as Mike Zablinski points out in the comments, it's a concept that has already been taken over and done in threes by the Pitch Perfect movies
1: to a degree. I've never seen one Pitch Perfect film.
0: If you've seen one Pitch Perfect Perfect film. You've seen them
1: all. Is there someone in disguise as a nun? Well, no. Okay. Um,
0: However, they aren't. No, the third one wasn't that great. The first one is is actually a cute movie, and the second one is okay. Okay. The second one's okay. I think they they because I understand it. I think there's a fourth one coming. I think they 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 definitely worn out their welcome, but. it's not a bad. Yeah, the first one is the first one is you know you, you, you'll stick around for the music. Yeah, it's a little infectious. Right,
1: right, right. right. Uh,
0: but after that, it 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 wears thin. Okay, and gets thinner and thinner down the line. But I don't think I don't see the need for a third sister. Act, no, me you?
1: either. I actually didn't see the need for a second one until I saw it <laughs> and said okay. I see what they did here.
0: Okay. Y'all got lucky.
1: Right. Like, so, well, you know, somehow they pulled it off. Like they actually right. Right. looked at the concept and said, how can we expand on it? But I don't know how you can keep doing that. Especially not 20 years later.
0: Speaking of taking a concept. Yes. Of a movie and trying to expand on it. Halle Berry. Yes. And Lena Waithe. Yes are set to produce a TV series. Yes. quasi adaptation of Right. Boomerang.
1: Right. I think it's supposed to be a sequel for BET. Yeah. Well, right, cuz a continuation. It's
0: really a continuation. Right. It's not a reboot of the story or anything like that. It's a continuation of the story. Right. Um that tells the story of Let's see. Marcus and Angela, who right. were the Eddie Murphy and Halle Berry characters in yes. the movie. Their daughter and Jacqueline, who was Robin Given's character. Yes. Her son. Yes. Uh, them in today's society, moving on you know, and stepping out of their parents'
1: shadows. Right. And it's going to be on BET.
0: It is going to be on BET. Uh, Lena Waithe... Is going to be a producer on it with Holly Berry. Is going to be an executive producer. Uh, ben Curry Jones has been hired as the showrunner.
1: And I'm not familiar with him. Ben Curry Jones. They have anything that he's?
0: Let's see. I'm not. I'm not familiar with uh, Mr. Jones either. Mr. Jones. He has worked as a story editor. And a writer on Underground, as well okay. as Hand of God, and a few episodes of Insecure.
1: Okay. All
0: right. So he, he he's actually has been in the producing game for a little bit.
1: Um, what do we think of? Well, at first, first of all, there was not one single solitary detail of this that I was interested in, except Lena Waith. But then when you said it just now, I didn't know that she was just producing. Oh, okay. I thought she was going to be involved on the creative side. So then. Well, that's. No, she's. 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 Like, she is more of a hands on producer. So she's definitely.
0: She's developing it. Well, suffice
1: it to say, Lena Waith is the only reason that I would keep this on my radar at all. mm. And then. would you say his name was Ben? Ben Curry Jones. It, it sounds like he's been involved in some stuff. I mean, I'll watch it.
0: He's been involved in some, good yeah. Stuff. Like I'll I watch it. I episode. love Insecure. Come like of God on yeah, Amazon. It's yeah, I'm sure Haley
1: Berry will be in the first episode. Think just think? So. Oh, it's a cameo. Uh, okay, maybe. It's a cameo, and yeah. you, you know, maybe, maybe. But that Robin, might t- maybe Robin Givens will be on the first episode too. Like just cameos. If you're gonna get the two of them, you can't get Eddie. Oh come on, stop! You're gonna have to listen to mm-hmm. his music. I made some reggae that y'all got to listen to for two hours to get me on for five minutes. Which right. I think is a fine price to pay, but... Not you know, even five minutes. Nobody,
0: right. All you gotta do is just see him in the
1: shower. Right. Show him, drop off his his daughter, and then he goes off. But um, but yeah, I'm not really that interested. Lena
0: Waith is actually the name that, that gave me to the door. Yeah. At that. Um, I, don't, I don't... I don't have a problem with it because, you know, hey... This is this is TV. This has been TV forever. Yeah, taking you know properties and you know adapting them, either rebooting them or doing sequels on them or stuff like that, trying to flip the script on them. So I don't I don't knock them for that, and it has worked pretty well for Netflix with Dear White People, and she's got to have it. So who's to say that it can't work for BET?
1: Right, and with, certainly you know, everyone right? is continuing like a lot of these '90s properties. Are being continued and right, you know, not even rebooted. Right, just they're so not continues. even being rebooted. They're right. being continued. Which, which speaks to you know, on, on the Facebook group, we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. How I mean, obviously, there are more important aspects of what happened with with Bill Cosby's court case, but it's immensely frustrating that they can't re, they can't do Different World, like they can't bring Different World back because it's the perfect moment to have it back it's been like 20 years which means that Dwayne and Whitley's kid is in college Mm -hmm. so like it's actually the perfect moment it's the perfect moment like that whole cast their kids can be their kids are at Hillman now you take one of those characters and have them you know work at Hillman Mm -hmm. and it's it's seamless
0: yeah but do we really okay just like Lena Waith is the only thing that's getting you to the table here on Boomerang. Right. Because actually do we real Did we really care about the children of Jacqueline and, and Marcus and, right, and right, Angela? Right. Right. No. They didn't have kids in the movie, so why do we would we care? Right. Right? So that's the only thing that's really getting you there. And they actually could have just came up with a show
1: based on this. right, like on a black a black advertising firm, right? And, but and, you
0: but you tie in Boomerang to get you know nostalgia, and, right? Right, and probably get more, the, get
1: more eyes help and get right green lit. Okay, yeah, no, I absolutely see it.
0: So, in in that vein, you're talking about you know we can see different world. Whitley and and Dwayne's kids they're now in college, so you could you could kind of re- reboot different world, right? We've got different world. We've got different world. You've got different world. Two different places. You've got it on Freeform, the cable channel with uh, Gronish, which is the sure the you know the spinoff from right, which in a
1: lot of ways kind of occupies that position with with Blackish, yeah, right.
0: And then if that's not maybe meaty enough
1: for you, which I can maybe understand, right? You have dear white people. You got dear white people. No, I get it. I think you're absolutely right that 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 eight well. Actually, you don't. Actually, you don't, because neither Gronish nor Dear White People take place at a HBCU. Ooh. Dear White People is an Ivy League school. That's, is a fictional Ivy League right. school, okay. and um, Gronish is basically UCLA. Yeah. We all know that I am a fan of the work and wit of Anika Noni Rose, but the quad. Oh yeah, forgot about the quad. just. It was too soapy to really, I think, capture the intricacies. Like I think there's a lot of dramatic gold to be mined Mm -hmm. about an HBCU in 2018. That different world. I mean, different world. I mean, it's perfect. Like it, like it's a perfect vehicle. But you know, here we are. That brings to
0: mind one last question, and I I don't know if we. I don't know if we can answer this question. Okay. Maybe some are, some of our listeners that are that are in the business can answer this question. I was watching um, on Netflix the other day. I
1: was watching Ozark. Okay. With Jason Bates. I still have not watched this. O- I know. I know. I know. Okay. But well, anyway. Funny thing, I just I, I was the other thing that was um, on the Attack the Block. That's where I was mad at you about Black Mirror. That what? you hadn't watched Black Mirror yet. Oh, yeah. So now you can yell at me about Ozark. <laughs> and I know. I know. I actually told you you were fing <laughs> up. So now I'm fing up. There you go. I had them close together, Lynn, so you can bleep them both. They're yes. right there together. Yes. You can bleep them. Because you just f***ed up. Yeah. see? They, oh, it's three. It, uh, it's I, a hat trick. I think and for it, a penny is it, for a pound. In so. for a penny and for a pound. So yeah, I know, but you were watching Ozark, I watching which I haven't watched, which you and haven't I should. Watched. Go ahead. However, but I was watching Ozark
0: and I was admiring the the quality of the show. Yeah. Like just the drama, the tension that they were so expertly building up in the scene that I was watching. Right. Not giving anything away, but I was just, just admiring that quality. Mm-hmm. Right. And then for uh, what happened? What happened? Oh, so then for a change of pace, because we watched like a couple of episodes of it, me and me and Lily Tribble, Um, we turned to something else just as a change of pace. Okay. And she wanted to, you know, with Empire coming on, she wanted to catch up on Empire.
1: Okay.
0: We watched it like the last episode from the last season
1: or something. Okay. Like so
0: we we turned that on. I don't care about Empire. Sure, I don't, I don't sure. Watch Empire, but I watched it. And Immediately, I was struck by, to me, of course, the difference in quality. Right, right. Now, both shows they have different goals dramatically. Absolutely, Empire is, is definitively written to be more of a soap. Yeah, written to be more melodramatic. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. However. To me, even though it's written to be melodramatic, there was a difference in just the quality of the direction Mm -hmm. of the show. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And it 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 struck me so so hard that I just wondered, okay, is it is it truly is it truly just about Developing what your show is going to be about and the look of it, and then you just hire directors that can simply do that. Yeah. Or do you actually, you know, hire directors and tell them this is what you have to do? Right. You know, because it 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 just it just dazzled it just boggled my mind that if I was a director. Hired on, like if I was a director hired on to do an episode of Ozark. Yeah. And then, you know, because I'm just a, I'm just a, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a camera for hire. Yeah. So you hire me to direct an episode of Empire. I'm if I'm you know, being true to myself, I'm trying to bring the same level of quality to both. Right. So why am I not trying to develop the same t- Type of tension, even even if the words are different, right? Why am I not still trying to develop the same type of tension, at least from the mood and from my direction right. of this? I mean,
1: I think, I mean, you know, whether you're talking about Ozark, whether you're talking about Empire, I mean, I mean, we've talked about it, like, like you, like, even a show like Queen Sugar, okay, which has an actual murderer's row. Of directors every single episode. Right. But it has a distinct look. And feel. And, and tone. feel. Yes.
0: yes. That is continuous. Which is what your showrunners
1: Right. So, take. so you know, I think part of it is just the nature of of television. hmm That, you know, this is the look. This is the aesthetic. This is what we're trying to get across from, from the point of view of a series. Mm-hmm. And you have to have that consistency mm-hmm. between episodes. See, but okay, and that's a
0: good like to me. Queen Sugar, to me, Queen Sugar and Greenleaf are going after the
1: same audiences. Oh, I completely disagree with that. You know,
0: you think so oh, you, I think, you think
1: Greenleaf is more melodramatic. I think Greenleaf is like, like no, in my house. In my house, we call Greenleaf like the child of Queen Sugar. And like the haves and the have-nots. Ugh. Like it's right in the middle. Because it's like, it's... Because so, Greenleaf gets soapy. Okay, yeah. Greenleaf gets soapy. Yeah, that, that's what... But at the same time, like it's better than... Like I think Greenleaf is better than than like Dynasty used to be. Mm-hmm. Like just quality-wise. Mm-hmm. That's because Greenleaf has that one parent that's like a prestige. But don't project. you think
0: but don't you think that Queen Sugar to uh, to a degree some of their storylines can can almost be like the same type of storylines that you will find in a in a soap opera. It's but it's just a matter of the, uh, to me the writing and the direction.
1: It's the. but the 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 storyline itself I think there was one storyline that I thought Cleaved a little soapy. And you know, I don't know who's caught up. Well, I guess it's off. The season's over. Yeah. Like, like at the point where um damn, now I forget everybody's name. Robert, because he's always gonna be Robert from the Cosby show to me. Was halfway gonna date both sisters. Yeah. I thought, okay, that's all right, this is getting this is cleaving a little soapy. Mm-hmm. But besides that, I actually think plot wise, I don't think it's that soapy. No, no, it's not. It does it doesn't play. Like, like when that. I think about you you no, i no, just on the level of plot. Like like, you know, this is the plot of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And and I just I feel like Greenleaf is way more plot driven. Which is soap, which is soap, yeah. and and way more exciting, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, oh my goodness, like they, like every every episode of Greenleaf. At the end, it's like, oh my goodness, yeah, it's, it's played for that moment, you know, yeah. yeah. As opposed to at the end of every episode of Queen Sugar, like I realize I haven't been breathing for forty minutes. <laughs> Because I'm so emotionally vested in the lives of these fictional characters. Mm-hmm. And I don't want bad things to happen to them. Right. right. And then I get to the end and it's like <sighs> we made it through another episode. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Poor on Va coughs or something and it, it causes a crisis in my house. What's on Va coughing? Y'all don't see her coughing? Right. So
0: Also, just in time for Halloween, October 26th, we're going to do our annual Halloween screening right here in the city of Brotherly Love. Yes, sir. The Michelle Mission presents Sugar Hill. Ooh, gangster zombies. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: right. Wait for it.
0: Sugar Hill screening, 8.30 p.m., Friday, October 26th at Amalgam Comics and Coffee House, our annual holly, uh, Halloween screening. Summer Willow Fitch is concocting another strange, insidious brew for the evening. Come on out. It's completely free. We want you all to come out and just have a good time and rock and roll with... Vince and me and Ariel uh, Johnson of Amalgam Comics and Summer Willow Fitch of the Ladies Love it Hip Hop podcast as we sit down and watch the 1970s exploitation horror classic Sugar Hill it's gonna be fun yeah all right all right let's get into it let's get into it after these messages we're going to be listening well what are we going to be doing we're going to be reviewing the defiant ones hey there missionaries it's fundraising time again at WPPM Philly Cam 106.5 FM and the Michaud mission is doing their part on Saturday October 27th at 1 p.m. Vince and myself, the Bat-Triple, Len, will be doing a very special live episode of the Michelle Mission. We're not sure exactly what we're going to be talking about just yet. The important thing is that we are going to be trying to raise $500 for Philly Camp. We need your help. All we need you to do is listen to the show at that time. call in and if we make our goal each and every one of you that helps us get there will receive a very special commemorative edition of the last dragon which will have on it a audio commentary from the michelle mission it's going to be a whole lot of fun believe me i'm looking forward to recording this for you so help us make philly cam Reach its goal on Saturday, October 27th. You can tune in to phillycam.org/listen, or you can go to that website and also find out all the crazy things and incredible things that PhillyCam does for the city of Philadelphia.
1: Go on, tell me all that big talk
0: about Charlie Potatoes, when the chain's off and nobody chasing you. Come on, you can't, can you? You can't because you're nothing. You're not even a man, you're a monkey on a stick. That cracker mob back there, they pull the string and you jump.
1: I'm a strange colored man in a white south town.
0: How long do you think before they pick me up? Get off my back, I ain't married to you. Now what do I care? Come on. You married to me, all right, Joker. And here's the ring, but I ain't going south on no honeymoon now.
1: we going north.
0: Time's gonna come, Joe. The time's gonna come.
1: Go on! Burn their eyes out! You can't go lynching me. I'm a white man. Come on! I can't make it. I can't make it. The Defiant Ones, a 1958 crime film which tells the story of two escaped prisoners, one white, played by Tony Curtis, and one black, played by Sidney Poitier, who are shackled together and must cooperate in order to survive. By the end of the journey, I think they find that they have more in common than not. Directed by Stanley Kramer, it won the Academy Award for Cinematography, Black and White, and original screenplay. A bona fide classic. This was the choice of Mr. Lynn Webb. Yeah.
0: The Defiant Ones has um long been one of my favorite movies. Like it's probably it, it's probably in my top 20. Oh, okay. Of my favorite movies. For a couple of reasons. One is because of Tony Curtis. I was introduced to Tony Curtis very young, at a young age, um, sitting downstairs in my basement, watching an Abbott and Costello movie. And I think it may have been Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it went off and I just sat there. And the next thing that came on was Houdini. Okay. which was a 1950s, 1960s movie where Tony Curtis played uh, Harry Houdini. And I just sat there and watched that film. And I fell in love with Tony Curtis from there because to me, he was Houdini. and He was cool. He was cool. And th- after that, maybe a few years later than that, I ran across Tony Curtis again in a film that's one of my 10 favorite films of all time and considered one- one of the ten greatest films of all time, some like it hot, with him and Jack Lemon and Marilyn Monroe in her best best role. A classic comedy by Billy Wilder. So when I then started going down the rabbit hole of finding more Tony Curtis to take in, one, from from my viewpoint, he was like this action action comedy. Guy, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. So, lo and behold, some somewhere along the lines, I come across the defiant ones, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, check this out. It's Tony Curtis. Can't be so bad. And then I see that Sidney Poitier was in it. I liked Sidney Poitier. Why? Because by this time, I had fallen in love with Sidney Poitier by way of his movies with Bill Cosby. Mm. So when I'm seeing Sidney Poitier, in those three movies, definitely comedies, and now I'm seeing him with to me an action comedy star <laughs> in Tony Curtis. Right. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a good Saturday. <laughs> let me sit down and watch some of the Defiant ones. Right. It's a weird name for a comedy. <laughs> what do I know? Right, right. You know, let me get some popcorn real quick. Probably actually probably got a bowl of Captain Crunch. And Sit down for a good old time. <laughs> <Ooh>.
1: <laughs>
0: Was I mistaken? Ooh, this is, this is what they call those dark comedies. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know about this one.
1: <laughs> right. Mm,
0: mm, I'm not laughing. And yet. I can't look away. Mm. I cannot look away from this film. When I'm watching this, I'm probably 13, 14 years old. Nice. So some of what they're trying to get across is hitting me, but it's not really hitting me like it's supposed to. Right. I returned to this film in my 20s and returning to it in my 20s, Now, you know, after college and everything like that, a little bit more schooled. You know, I don't know if I'm woke yet, but I'm at least, you know, my eyes are open. Right. And I'm watching this film. And by now I know more of Tony Curtis. I know more about Sidney Poitier, who they actually, these two actors really are um, in their careers. And at this point in their careers, when they did this movie in 1958. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching this film now under completely different eyes. And when I watch it then, I realize that this is just an amazing piece of filmmaking that I am watching Mm -hmm. here from Stanley Kramer. First of all, in the 20 when upon revisiting it, I'm struck by there's no music in this movie. Nope. There's not an opening song. There's not a closing song. That's right. There is no... Mu- the only music you hear That's... is coming over a radio every once in right, a while. Right, right. Or Sydney Poitiers singing. Or Sidney Portier Long gone. Mm-hmm. That's all the music. That's in like, ooh. So, which then makes it that and it being a black and white movie. Because mm-hmm. 1958, you didn't have to do movies in black and white. There was color. Right. So, it was, you know... Specifically black and white, which you know it just makes the whole racial, you know, uh, um, immediacy of the movie just that much more striking. Uh, the sparseness of the script because there's a you know, there's lines, it's a script, but there's a lot of moments where it's just these two guys on the run, right? It's, it's just them dealing with the atmosphere of what they have to deal with there's a lot of moments where you hear nothing but this this unrelenting rain and downpour that they are in right um and i'm just really i'm just really struck by the moments that this movie is is uh creating this is when i'm watching it in the 20s fast forward maybe another 10 years revisit the film again when i'm watching it now I am watching it... Now I'm considering myself like whatever woke is, I'm woke. Right. So I'm watching this film and now I'm listening to the dialogue that is there. Yeah. And there is dialogue there that is just some of the meatiest dialogue that you will hear in any movie. And just imagine it was in 1958. There's this whole bit that they do when they are on the run from from because they were on a chain gang mm-hmm. you know and they, they, they escaped and they're they're in the woods it's, it's late at night they they've cooked themselves up I think a frog yeah. um and as they're eating this frog, there they have this running dialogue between the two of them that goes from talking about the animals in the woods. To talking about Tony Curtis, who was just this, you know, they're both escaped convicts, but Tony Curtis is like this big dreamer and just dreams of, you know, every day. I guess, you know, when you're in prison, you have to have some place where you can go in your mind that takes you away out of your circumstance. Right. It hit. His place was dreaming of himself being rich, being one of the you know, being one of the what he calls Charlie potatoes. That's right, the rich guys, and so it goes from talking about the animals to Tony Curtis about his dreaming about being one of the one of the Charlie potatoes to city Poitier's character Noah or Colin popping his balloon a little bit. Then it segues into Tony Curtis not liking the the words thank you and he has this whole soliloquy on how how he doesn't like using the word thank you, which then dovetails into Sidney Poitier talking about how he doesn't like the word nigga, yeah and and it's probably about a good five minutes of dialogue and it 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 ends oh my god it ends yeah on this on this line look I'm 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 gonna give y'all I'm gonna give you ladies and gentlemen you know. I you know, I, I, I'm sorry, you know, with all with all due respect to my man uh to Dorian and Omar and and, and Ryan and 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 Simone and all the actors that listen to listen to us. But there's this one piece of dialogue here and I highlighted it because I, I loved it so much I had to find a script. Yeah. Because it's not a quote. When you look for quotes in the movie, they don't they don't use this quote. Um, and I'm just going to go here real quick. Uh, give me a moment. Uh, I'm sorry, Vince. I'm sorry. All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Because Tony Curtis is telling him about, you know, how he, he, Tony Curtis, who goes by, the name, who uh, Sidney Poitier keeps calling Joker. And he's telling he's telling uh, Sidney Poitier's character how... You've got to deal with you know the word nigga. Yes, you've got to, you've got to deal with that man. And let's see, Tony Curtis says, uh, "Well, that's what you are, ain't it? It's just it's like calling a spade a spade. I'm a honky. I don't try to argue out of it." And then Sidney Poitier breaks it down for him. Well, little Tony Curtis says, "You know, uh, uh, I'm a honky. I don't try to, to argue out of it." You can call me a bohunk. A bohunk. I don't mind. Right. And then Sidney Portier says, you ever hear tell of a bohunk in a woodpile, Joker? You ever hear tell of catch a bohunk by the toe? Depends on how you mean it. How'd you mean it? Don't crowd me. I don't make up. I don't make up no names. No, Sidney Portier says. You breathe it when you're born and you spit it out from then on. That name sure bugs you, don't it? Well, that's the way it is. You're stuck with it. Because I didn't make any rules. No, but you sure live by them. Everybody lives by them. Even the
1: swamp animals. Even that weasel. What, you calling me a weasel? Here, I'll let you read it from my notes. No. I wrote it down. I'm calling you
0: a white man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah
0: that that i mean and that's the t- that's the end. Yeah. You really need to hear the whole yeah. whole thing. That chunk of dialogue right there should be like must must like must see that piece that piece of of the film should be like must must see movies for every actor. It is just spot on. And i don't think you know Sidney Poitier, he's he's gotten his accolades, he's he's won Academy Awards and everything. Uh Tony Curtis, he's only had one Oscar nomination to his name, and that was for this film. Yeah, Uh and this film, Sidney Poitier was for the first time a black man was nominated for a lead lead role in this film. They were both nominated for lead roles. Yeah, neither, neither one of them had to settle for uh, uh, supporting roles. That is just. How devastatingly phenomenal the acting is by these two men in this film. From the beginning of this movie, when it starts off, you see them on this bus. And they're totally adversarial to one another. Even though they're chained to one another. They're totally adversarial to one another. And yet, their chemistry of just their acting chops... Pops off the screen, and because of that, the arc that they go through, which is not is not leaned on heavy it's not like you know you hear some words of like you know like like they never call each other friend, right you know you never see some like kumbaya moment in between them. right but you just but you can feel it, you can sense it by the shared experience. That not only they are having with one another, but also the shared experiences that they're sharing with one another as they uh, each reach a level of understanding of who the other is and why they are at this point, why they were in this prison. And that all then just culminates at the end of the film in you know one of the more striking images that it, and it's the image that everybody takes away from this film when they're running after this train to catch this train to freedom, and Sidney Poitier gets on the gets on the train and he's reaching back for Tony Curtis, and then you get a close up of their hands in each other. Sidney Poitier's hand, Cullen's hand on top, pulling up the white man. Yeah. Trying to pull the white man to safety, to freedom. And Tony Curtis unable to make it, and they both come tumbling off of the off the train. But that one striking image of their hands claps together as it is in 1958. In these United States of America, is an incredible image, an incredible striking image on this screen. I would I would have loved to have seen this on a full blown Cinerama screen. Yeah, to just see those hands fill that fill that
1: screen. Here, here's here's the thing you're saying 1958. I think that this has a more nuanced examination of race relations and how you you know white privilege mm-hmm. uh the 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 way the way whiteness has been used as a wedge yes between poor white people and poor black people the i mean even you know the part that that you were just quoting that you know as i said i wrote down the last part of it the passive way that white people exist within a racist system. Mm -hmm. It's so incredibly nuanced. I would love to see it in 2018 because I don't think we talk about race the way that Stanley Kramer and this script Forward, the way it it you know frankly needs to be talked about. Yeah, and and the way it works. I, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Everything you just said, everything you just said, and then you know, see if I can add. I, I think it was appropriate that you said you you sort of reverse engineered knowing about Sydney Portier from the Sydney Portier and Bill Cosby movies mm-hmm. because what I realized is that first when I think of Tony Curtis. I always think of him as a comedic actor. Okay, like I know he did other stuff, but when I think about, it, I always go to some like it hot and and you know it's a mad 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 world and just sort of random things. He's not in a mad mad not mad mad world. Um, oh, you're thinking about the great race? Yeah, yeah. Where he's you know he's he yeah. he's got that kinetic energy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think Sidney Portier works really well. With an actor that has that energy. Yeah. So even though it's obviously not a comedy, that energy that you get between Portier and Curtis, I think is very much paralleled with Portier and Cosby. Right. Because it's that same kind of, you know, yeah. you have this kinetic bounce of the mm-hmm. comedic actor. And then Sidney Portier has this coolness. Mm-hmm. Not cool as in hey, but cool as in this this emotional restraint mm-hmm. that he has. That it's it the alchemy is fantastic. I think the script is amazing. Man. I th- I think this script is amazing. It's so smart. And and frankly, the best the the the, the best compliment I can give the actors. Not just Sydney, because I think the the whole cast is great. Yeah, Theodore Bikel as the the sheriff. Right, right. Something. Lon Chaney is yeah. in here for a moment, and you forget, you, you know, and, and if you know anything about Lon Chaney, he actually this was actually part of of his challenge. Mm-hmm. Like he was swallowed up by the Wolfman. Man, mm-hmm. but Lon and Chaney, all the horror movies and man. all the horror movies. But Lon Chaney was an actor. Yeah. And you forget that he's a, like he's an actual presence, mm-hmm. and I think what you get with this film, something that you just pointed out, that I hadn't even thought about when I when I was thinking about it, the lack of music. It's almost like watching a play. Yeah, like it has it has the energy of a play where it is the script, where it is the dialogue, where it is everything, and I think what I came away with. Is that this is a great film. And this is one of the films, you you know, I've talked about films like this before, that when you're a kid and you say, oh, I like movies. Mm -hmm. And what you're thinking is you like good movies. Because those are the ones that are shown. And then as you get older, you realize that there's a lot of crappy movies. Right. But the quality of this and the quality of, again, Stanley Kramer's direction and, and you know, you look at the man's filmography where, you know, whether you're talking about Inherit the Wind, whether you're talking about this, whether you're talking about a few years after this, where he captures Sidney Poitier at a different speed mm-hmm. with Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Yeah. You know, this is a person that is in full control mm-hmm. of all of the tools. While I think this is a great film, and I think he's great in it, I don't know if I would call it a great Sidney Poitier film, though. Really? I think Sidney Poitier is great in it, but what I was, because, and I've mentioned this before, where, like, I I, I really enjoy The Defiant Ones, but on my column, in my column of Sidney Poitier films, Mm -hmm. I'm never going to pick this to watch like oh let's watch a Sidney Portier film like it's not in my top five Sidney Portier films mm. and I you know I always wonder if if Ozzie Davis played this role or or you know even a young Brock Peters mm-hmm. I wonder how much the final product would have changed mm. so that when we talk about it on this show Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, we're we're, we're focusing on Sydney Portier's performance. I th- again, I think he's I think he's wonderful in it, but I don't know if this is a film that he's necessarily the the strongest part, or or the part that sticks out, or the part that says that oh, I'm going to watch this. For Sydney Portier, as, as you've pointed out, Tony Curtis is just as strong mm-hmm. as Sydney Portier in this film. Mm-hmm. I think this script is 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 bulletproof. Mm-hmm. I think Stanley Kramer's direction is is masterful. Mm-hmm. So that there are so many components to it that I, it, I, it, it's 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 a really interesting exercise for me fitting it within the continuum. Of Sidney Portier films, where you know something like in the Heat of the Night with Rod Steiger, where both of them are are you know much like this, basically co-leads, but Sidney Portier is this fully formed leading man, mm-hmm. or or something like Uptown Saturday Night, where where Sidney Portier's Sidney Poitier-ness, if you will, very spe- specifically. Bounces off of Bill Cosby, or even something like Bucking the Preacher, where you know I'm thinking of films where where it's, it's him, him and where, where else, it's, right. it's it's him and Harry Belafonte, right, and Sidney Poitier is entering into that 70s mode that we talked about, even with something like Brother John, where it's almost this haughtiness that he has.
0: Yeah, see, but I th- I think that in this film, Sidney. Um, and and to the film's credit, because Tony Curtis' m- role is a little
1: louder. It's not it's not a loud role, right. but it's a louder. Right. Well, role. he's he's the kinetic one. He's right. the, and and then right. you know he gets the love interest because he's the white guy. Right. You know, nineteen fifty eight.
0: But I think because of that, I think that Sydney is actually a very good choice for this. Okay. Because that. Inner anger that he has, mm-hmm. that you can see just boiling underneath the surface. Yeah, you know, it's it's always percolating. It's always there, and it's and sometimes it pops for for a split second, but it, then it, it it doesn't. Right, and you know. And, uh, no shade on Brock Peter. Just to, just to name the people that you named. Right, right. I mean, Ozzie he's a Davis better actor Peter, than
1: Brock right. Peters.
0: I I think that he Sydney gets the, gets that over better than the two of them would have. That that's not to say that maybe somebody else couldn't. Well, uh, well, you know I'll what? say that I'll I say-
1: said Ozzie Davis. I meant to say a young James Earl Jones.
0: See, I was actually thinking maybe James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. Um. Maybe James Earl Jones, some might say Harry Belafonte, but I think Harry yeah, Belafonte. I yeah. Well, I don't think Harry Belafonte could have done it. And right. I also think, you know, just being honest, for that role, I think you wanted a darker guy.
1: Absolutely. Just which, visually. Which which
0: again, to a degree, lets out James Earl Jones as well.
1: Right. Um so I think if oh, you that's interesting, just physically.
0: Yeah, just talking well, on a physical, way to physical aspect. Okay. You know. Um but I actually like Sydney Poitier in the, in this role. I've I think that, especially considering what we had just seen him in, uh, we just saw him in the the Mark of the Hawk. Right. You know what I mean? Which was a totally different type of role. Yeah. Um, I think him doing something like this is Sydney. You know. Trying not to be pigeonholed, absolutely into a role, and making this role his so right. much so.
1: And this is two years after the Mark of the Hawk, right? Yeah,
0: and he does it, and he does it in such a way so much so that a role that could have been a supporting role. I yeah. think they're they're on the screen. as much as each other, you know, as one another. But let's think of 1950s politics. If anyone had said he was the supporting role, probably a lot of people wouldn't have complained because he was the black guy. Sure. But he's so strong in that movie that you couldn't even get You couldn't get away with giving him the supporting role. You had to give him the Oscar the the nomination for lead. And I think that speaks to how much he
1: actually does fill that role. I actually think he's 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 spot on in, in this. Well, you, the anger speaks to me. You, you know that the argument for the anger cuz you you sort of look at where he is at this moment. You know, the Career-wise. next year he makes poor game best, mm-hmm. which that that role you have that anger. After that um, have you ever seen all the young men I think I have. I have no memory of all the young men at all. Sounds familiar. But then you go A Raisin in the Sun, Mm -hmm. where it's that same thing, that kind of of seething, smoldering anger that's Mm -hmm. always there. Paris Blues is after that. Then he's a Moorish king in The Long Ships, which (laughs) really the less said about The Long Ships, the better. I've never seen that movie. Oh, he's got a magnificent Beard thing going on in the long. Oh, ship. is that? It's like yeah, he got that's his the, Fu Manchu. Yeah, he's on. got the Fu Manchu. Oh, it's the Fu Manchu. I've seen that picture. <laughs> right, right. Like, there's really no reason to watch the long shifts except to look at Sydney Portier in that Fu Manchu talking in a Moorish accent. Oh my God, it's pretty ridiculous. Mm. But then you you start to get the shift mm-hmm. where you get the Sydney Portier that that is critiqued later on yes because you know they they does you know Lilies of the field mm-hmm. uh he's you know he's Simon he's Simon in the greatest story ever told you get into a patch of blue and then you, you know now it's it's the Sydney Portier that frankly white people find non-threatening exactly although right. you know we've talked about with to serve with love I think it's more going on but Okay. I'll I'll go along with that. I'll yeah. go along with the Sydney, but I I was again trying to figure out why do I never I mean even the films like of all the films I just named except of course for the long ships. I like all of them as Sydney Portier films better than this. Really? I do, which let's be clear, I don't think that is a dig against the defiant ones.
0: No, 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 no. It's I just all think, by preference.
1: Yeah, and, and I think Sidney Portier had like like for a 10-year period, he was it was just boom 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 mm-hmm. of Sydney Portier showcased films. Mm-hmm. Like let's be clear. I don't think A Patch of Blue is a better film than The Defiant Ones, but I think A Patch of Blue is a better showcase of Sydney Portier okay but yeah it's a great film it's a great film you know the film is so great that this is one of the few times we've looked at a film and my major critique of the film is that I wished it was longer oh really I do like I could have spent another 10 maybe 15 minutes with Joker and Cullen Mm -hmm. on the run talking to him because you know I think I think obviously the 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 real the real showcase of this film is is the two actors, yeah, yeah, bouncing off of each other. True, and you know there's a surprising amount of of screen time spent on. On 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 the on the police chasing them, especially in the beginning. In the beginning, I mean, like their whole setup. Like they keep going back to them, and it's this whole deal with with the with the person who's in the posse with the dogs, and <laughs> it's sort of this don't eat in front of my dogs. It's this weird interpersonal dynamic between the sheriff and the townspeople, and it's all very interesting. It is interesting, but the film's only an hour and thirty seven minutes. I know. So every moment that I spend with the sheriff sort of disregarding the man and his love for the dogs, that's time that I could have with Tony Curtis and Sidney Portier. And to be clear, I don't think you should lose that. No, you shouldn't. Because it's a very interesting, that it, it, also adds to the commentary. And again, the script is wonderful. Yeah. Like just every every spoken word, but but I could have used twenty more minutes. Like I could have used a solid two hours. See, I'm actually good with with it. I like it being this
0: tight little compact little uh, uh, film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the great the great films leave you wanting a little more. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, I hear and you. I think this. And, and if you want if you wanted a little bit longer, then you could go to the nineteen I believe Six. there was a TV movie version uh-huh. of The Defiant Ones Yeah, starring a Spencer for Hire Robert Urich and action Jackson Carl Weathers right now why would I do that
1: well it's longer it's just longer <laughs> you wanted more time. I just I, I wanted <laughs> I wanted more uh, it's like I feel like there's a monkey paw situation <laughs> type of deal like I've made a wish but the wish sucks ass. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> and then like the little monkey finger goes down. He said you wanted more. I did. I wanted more defiant ones. And then the monkey paw, the finger goes down because I made my wish. Mm. And it's like, here it is. But it's Robert Urich and Carl Weathers.
0: Yes. Or maybe you want to go to the 1970s black exploitation blaxploitation genre, uh, uh, gender flip of this
1: film, Black Mama, White Mama. Okay. With Pam Greer. Ain't nothing wrong with Black Mama, White Mama. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be clear. That's a fine film. (laughs) Oh, oh, really? Oh, yeah.
0: Uh,
1: mm, But yeah, great film. Great film. Great. Great, great film.
0: Great film. I mean, look, um, I will say this. I don't know if you can definitively call this a black film. I don't I, okay, I wouldn't call it a black right, film. Right. However, I think because of the commentary that it does have on race, mm-hmm. while not a black film, it's a film black people should see. Right. And I think they would enjoy it.
1: I would call it a black film. A, because if if, oh, if Cullen's is. character isn't black, the whole thing changes. Yeah. And then B, it is a film about race. And, and like I said, it has a surprisingly sophisticated examination of whiteness. Oh, yeah. But its examination of whiteness is in contrast. Mm-hmm. To blackness. Yeah. Y'all can't and, lynch me. I'm a white man. Right. And and you know, and even you know, there's that wonderful moment where where Cullen says no one gets as scared about a lynching as you did unless you've seen one. Right. And 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 you know, and Joker, of course, says, Yeah, they lynched a guy, this they put him out of jail. And he doesn't say they lynched a black person, but the implication. Is right there, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, even the the details of 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 Joker eventually finding a way to escape, and Colin rightfully saying, "Oh, you're gonna lose, use me as bait," and Colin's understanding how race works, and then you know, as you say, he makes a sacrifice to go warn Colin. Mm. Although I'd like to point out. That for all that talk about we're going to send you, I send him into the swamp, and he's going to get eaten up by the swamp, and he's going to die in the swamp. Cullen was fine. True. Very true. Cullen was actually fine. Yes. Cullen had time to smoke a cigarette, and he was waiting for the train to come. Yes. Which, you know, I took that as, yeah, maybe you might get eaten up in the swamp. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But Cullen was fine. But I'm a black man. Right, exactly. Like all this, hey, I didn't told you for an hour and 30 minutes, I'm a black man. So all this that you're talking about, it works differently for me. Uh, in the immortal words of Bane, I was raised in the shadows. Exactly. But even that, even that, I think that is there deliberately because just as Joker makes this sacrifice for this man who has become his brother... Cullen makes a similar sacrifice, yeah, and and I, th- I think you're absolutely right. It's it's a credit to a script that is sparse, and in a lot of I actually wrote in my notes, like you know, there's a scene where they go across a river and they have to help each other, and it's a silent scene, but it's a perfect you know talking about teaching this in a class. It's a perfect depiction of show not tell. Yep. So that by the end, you understand this link between them. And and it's 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 a great film. Yeah. It's a great film. You should watch it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I was about to say, so would you recommend? You should watch the
0: Defiant Ones, the nineteen fifty eight version. Right. Except no substitutes.
1: I agree. I agree. You should absolutely watch it. And you know, frankly, you should watch Steven Kramer films. Stanley Kramer. Stan. I'm sorry, Stanley Crane. I was about to say I'm a fan. I'm such a fan that I mess his name up, but I'm actually a fan <laughs> of Stanley Crane. Like, like this is good, solid blue-chip filmmaking right here.
0: Did you know a couple of pieces of trivia before okay. we get out of this that the movie Toy Story Yes. The animated movie the uh, John Lasseter, who's the head of Pixar at the time yeah, wrote That he based the relationship of Woody and Buzz Lightyear on Joker
1: and Cullen. (laughs) No, I didn't. That's hilarious. Isn't that? Yeah. And did you know that The Defiant Ones
0: features the last film of one of the great Hollywood child actors?
1: No, I didn't. Who? Who's in it? Carl Switzer, and we know Carl Switzer because Swit- Carl Switzer
0: was Alfalfa from our gang.
1: I the little Rascals. did actually know that. Now he he died in a bar fight or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I didn't know that. I think it, it was
0: like from injuries from about
1: to say he got he got stabbed up. Right. Yeah. I uh, actually did know that. I forgot, but yeah.
0: He plays the, the character of uh, Angus, mm-hmm.
1: the guy that is always running around with the radio. Yes. And you, he actually looks like Alfalfa.
0: He looked like somebody. Yeah. I didn't know. Like, that and I was I trying it. to
1: figure out who. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. That's a great piece of trivia.
0: I love a piece of trivia.
1: And any more trivia? No more trivia? No, that's not a trivia. Actually. That's good trivia. That's good. All right. So, yeah. All right. The Defiant Ones. Yes. All right. So check it out, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, yes. Check out
0: the the fine ones. All right. Okay. Well, hey, next week is October.
1: Yes, it is.
0: Which means that we will be starting our month of horror movies. Yes, we will. Oh boy. So before we tell you what our first horror movies, which Vince will be choosing.
1: I will begin the month.
0: We invite all of you to like and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Michelle Mission. Join the Facebook group at Michelle Mission. Uh, also, you can email us, all of your thoughts and concerns and questions or what have you, to Mission at gmail.com Check us out our show is available as a podcast on the Podglomerate Podcast Network, thepodglomerate.com. They just kicked off a new podcast, A History of Stand-Up, with Wayne Fetterman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of stand-up. It's actually pretty cool. i check it out. Um, and our show is also available for your download and streaming pleasure on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and any place and every place the good podcasts and you can check us out as a radio show Saturdays at 1pm on WPPM 106.5 FM City of Brotherly Love People Power Media, Philly Cam and spend your Monday mornings with Michaud on 91.7 FM WKDU the voice of Drexel University that's Monday mornings at 9am with the Michaud Mission that's M-I-C-H a u x mission Spell that out and everything. Yes, you did. All right. Vince, yes. What will be our first haunt on Halloween 2018?
1: Well, you know, for 2 years and 8 episodes I have skipped and avoided this film to the point where even before I came in tonight, because I knew I was up, I knew I would get to this month, and Sugar Hill is one of mine. I thought about choosing Ghost Dad. Ugh. It has a ghost that will legitimately be a Halloween episode, correct? Uh, correct? That would be that would legitimately I, I
0: suppose
1: I thought about Ghost Dad. I thought about Petey Wheatstraw, the devil's son-in-law, starring <laughs> the great Rudy Ray Moore. Oh, Lord. I mean, it's it's got supernatural elements to it. But at this point, it it really is shameful that we have not talked about a film that legitimately frightened me to the point that I think I've only seen it once. Mm, I think I know where we're going. 1992 film mm-hmm. directed by Bernard Rose based on a story by horror master Clive Barker mm-hmm. starring Ooh, Cl- oh yeah the the really underrated Virginia Madsen
0: I love me some Virginia Madsen
1: uh early appearance by Vanessa Williams Oh yeah that's Va- right Vanessa Williams not not Vanessa L Williams but no. Vanessa Williams mm-hmm. the actress and in the lead ro- role, Mr. Tony Todd. Mm. I am, of course, talking about 1992's Candyman. It, it scared you. Huh, man? Candyman scared the shit out of me <laughs> in 1992 you going to watch it with the entire family? <laughs> no, but I'm going to watch it at 10 in the morning with all the shades <laughs> open. <laughs> so to begin our month of horror films. it' still be fun. Candyman.
0: I actually just watched Candyman again probably
1: about a year ago. Okay. Obviously we'll talk about this much more next week, but mm. does it hold up?
0: talk about it next week okay all right candy man check it out ladies and gentlemen that's where we're going it's this- okay Not all right, right. <laughs> i have no idea where that came from i don't know we gotta get out of here he's vince i'm len in parting we say
1: we'll see you when it's time to meet again